Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And I just want to echo uh, what uh, Pastor Kenton has already said. It is so good to be worshiping here in our church building. And I know church has not been canceled, and it never was canceled. Uh, it's been amazing to watch our staff uh, shift in the way that our church uh, family has been so flexible in this season. But there's something about being with God's people in God's house, isn't there? Amen. I, I'm assuming I'm, you're smiling underneath those masks. And I, I trust that uh, it is a good day for you as well. It's, exciting, it's an exciting development in, in these dark days, isn't it? These days where the news is often so full of, of disease and, and dissension and even disaster. But we know that dark days have, uh, have been around since the beginning of time. There have been many dark hours in, throughout history in every corner of the world. Think of our friends in England. Probably their darkest hour was the spring of 1940. You see, the Nazis had blitzkrieged their way through Europe, and it looked like an invasion was imminent. And in very Churchillian fashion, um, Prime Minister Churchill printed and distributed 14 million copies of this leaflet entitled Beating the Invader. In this little leaflet was really an instruction booklet of what to do when the German troops arrived at their doorsteps. And again, it was just quintessential Churchill. The two main messages in the leaflet were stand firm and carry on. Stand firm should you meet the enemy. Carry on should you not. And with these wise, wise words, he attempted to steal the hearts and resolve the minds of the British people. Stand firm and carry on. It was a call and a message that really only faintly echoes the call that the Apostle Paul makes this morning to the Philippian church. And as a result, a call that he makes to you and me. You see, it was a different type of dark time, but it was a dark time surrounding the writing of the book of Philippians. First of all, the author... Paul himself was in chains, was in prison at the, at the time of this writing. It was a dark time for the church in terms of disinformation that they were fighting about their identity and about their hope in the gospel. And it was a dark time for members in their church who were at odds with one another, who were living under the weight of disunity and division. And in the midst of those dark times, Paul, like Churchill, tells the Philippian church to what? to stand firm. But Paul's message is so much more meaningful and glorious and everlasting than Churchill's message ever could be. You see, Churchill's call was to stand firm and carry on with resolve, with our own resolve, because an evil dictator was coming to bring death and destruction. But Paul's much better message was to stand firm with joy because a good king had already come and had brought life and had brought salvation. Let me say it again. Paul's call is for the Philippians and us to stand with joy because our Savior has come. That is Paul's call to the, to the Philippian church and that is Paul's call to Chapel Street Church. Now let's look specifically at this call. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to, 
agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, again, the two primary calls that we are seeing here from this text this morning are found in verse 1 and verse 4. I've already mentioned the, the first one, to stand firm. We see that in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Stand firm, thus in the Lord. In verse 1, he commends the Philippians, but then he gives this clear command to stand firm. Well, why should we stand firm? Well, because of chapters 1 through 3. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because Jesus has taken hold of us as Pastor Brian shared last week. Because now your citizenship is in heaven, as Philippians 3, verse 20 says, just a couple of verses back. We stand firm because of the hope we have in Jesus to save us, to transform us, and to bring us home to heaven. We can and we should stand firm. The image here is of a soldier who refuses to leave his post, no matter what they face. And Paul wants the, the Philippians to stand firm, to be firm in their faith, to be stable in their attitudes, and to be enduring in their actions. Because of what Jesus has already done, has already accomplished on their behalf, he wants them to persevere in every area of their life in Christ. But in typical Paul fashion, he doesn't just say stand firm, he teaches them how to stand firm and the characteristics that accompany standing firm. Notice what he says. Stand firm thus, stand firm in this way. Because of Jesus, that's the therefore at the beginning of verse 1. Therefore, because of verses, uh, chapters 1 through 3, stand firm in this way. This is Paul's call to action for the Philippians and for us. We are to stand firm because of who Jesus is, but now we're going to see how we should stand firm. And this, this, this action, this call to action, this call to stand firm, is accompanied by a very specific attitude, which is really the main thrust of the book of Philippians. And that is found in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Now, Pastor Jeff did a wonderful job unpacking this call to rejoice a couple of weeks ago. If you remember the juice box illustration. And he put it like this. This is what Pastor Jeff said. Rejoice means to go back again and again and again, and reconnect with the source of our joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Everything our hearts desire is found in Jesus. I'm accepted. I'm approved. I'm loved in him. Plug yourself back into the only real source of joy. Rejoicing is coming back and reconnecting with the only source of our real joy. So Paul is calling the Philippians to stand firm because of Jesus. And he's calling for them to rejoice always, to continually be re reconnecting to their only source of true joy. 
Jesus Christ himself. They are to stand firm and rejoice no matter the circumstances because remember, their, their joy was not found in their circumstances, but in the person and work of Jesus. And that is our call today, to stand firm with joy. But as I mentioned, Paul does not leave the Philippians or us with a vague command, but he brings it to life and he brings it down to our everyday lives. And he offers us three characteristics. He prescribes three characteristics that should be present when you and I stand in joy. The first way Paul says to stand firm in joy is by promoting unity. Let me say that again. Stand firm in joy by promoting unity. And look what it says in verse 2. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So what is going on here? Well, clearly, Paul is speaking to a very specific situation that is happening in the Philippian church. And what we know is that two ladies who have been very involved and very much a part of, of Paul's ministry and connected with Paul and with one another in doing real gospel ministry, remember they labored side by side with me in the, in the, in the gospel together. So they've labor, labored with Paul, but they've also labored with each other. They're clashing. They're not getting along. Now, it doesn't appear that there's anything unethical or immoral or heretical about this dispute. We don't know the specifics of the, about the dispute, but what we do know is th they're not getting along. They are not unified. Now, notice how Paul addresses uh, this disunity. First of all, he pleads with them. Isn't that fascinating? The Apostle Paul could command and say, get along, be unified. No, he pleads with them. He pleads with them. He understands that the body of Christ needs everybody to be doing their role together to accomplish the task that Jesus has called us to do. And what is his, uh, what is his plea? To agree in the Lord. It's not to agree on everything, not to, to give up something that, that you know to be true. It's not uniformity. That's not the point. This is a plea to be unified around Jesus around his work in the world and notice what else he does he asks others to help the true companion there's a lot of debate who that is we don't need to get into that but but paul asks others to intervene and to step in and to help you see fighting for for unity in the church means we don't only look out for ourselves and seek seek to be unified with everyone to be in unity with everyone no it means we look out for others and we help others fight this unity he also reminds them of the mission, that they labored in the gospel together. We have work to do. This is our job. He reminds them of that they are blood bought by Jesus, that their names are written in the book of life, that they have a future together with him and with Jesus. So what does this type of unity look like for you and me today as followers of Jesus? Well, New Testament scholar and theologian D.A. Carson describes it this way. Work hard to develop perfect agreement on matters of greatest importance. The gospel, the word of God, the glory of Christ, the good of God's people, the beauty of holiness, the ugliness of sin, especially your own sin. Focus on what unites you, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Be like-minded, think the same things, agree with one another, work hard 
and humbly on these central issues. And in most instances, these peripheral matters will take care of themselves. Resolve to pursue like-mindedness with other believers. This will ennoble and strengthen all sides so that you will never abandon the Christian walk. This will help you stand firm. You see, just as we are united with Christ, we ought to be unified in Christ, his body, the church. Let me say that again. Just as we are united with Christ, we ought to be unified in Christ, his body, the church. We are to fight against entering into divisions and disagreements. We are to help others become unified. This unity distracts from our mission. This unity robs us of our joy. This unity is not standing firm. Which is why Paul, just a couple of chapters back, in Philippians 2, 2, says what? Make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Paul's joy is complete when the church is unified and like-minded. So you want to stand firm? You want joy? Be sure to promote gospel unity in your church. Be sure to do that here at Chapel Street. Let's turn our eyes on us for a second. What are you doing to promote unity here at Chapel Street Church right now? Oh, there's so many things to to tear us apart that want to pull us apart. What are you doing? Are there places where you can be a unifier? Do you see relationships where you're at odds? Do you see relationships where others are at odds? What can you do to make it right? You see, to stand firm is to promote unity. The world is watching. Oh, the world is watching. And if we want our church to really stand out in the midst of all that is happening, if we want to make Chapel Street, help Chapel Street Church make an impact, let us be unified around the gospel. We stand firm in joy by promoting unity. Which leads to the second characteristic that should be present when we stand firm, and that is practicing gentleness. We stand firm in joy by practicing gentleness. Look at verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What does reasonableness mean? Well, it's not easy to translate. Honestly, for me, it's kind of hard to say. Um, It really means gentleness. But again, it's a nuanced word, and I think it's best explained by looking at what Paul, how Paul describes it. Again, going back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Reasonableness or gentleness is the desire to do what is best for everyone, not just yourself. It's a quality that keeps a person from insisting on their full rights. In fact, it's a focus on the rights of others above our own. It's a considerate courtesy and a respect for others. It's the exact opposite of contention, of self-seeking, of self-centeredness, of outrage that we see today. But it's not wimpiness, no. It's a willful choice to be kind and focus on the needs of others. And it is preeminently the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are standing firm in joy, you will be known 
for your gentleness. Now think about your own life right now. What are you known for? What are you known for in your family? What are you known for at your workplace? In your circle of friends? Well, let me ask it a different way. What do you want to be known for? If we're honest, does reasonableness or gentleness even make the list of goals that we aspire to? Well, it does for Paul, and it does for Jesus Christ. If we want to stand firm in joy in these dark times, a gentle reputation should be a regular focus and a daily goal for each and every one of us. Again, has there ever been a time in our lives where this matters more, where we can shine more light and point more people to Jesus with a gentle heart and a gentle word? Christian thinker and author Paul David Tripp wrote a poem actually just this week speaking to this very point. Listen to this poem. In that moment, when opponents are screaming, tribes are fighting, arguments are escalating, and masses are debating, and no one is listening, there is power in a soft answer. There is strength in a tender heart. There is grace to be found in a measured response. There is mercy to be seen in a loving reply. There is only one enemy, not the person different from you, not the one who disagrees with you, not whoever disrespects you, not the one on the other side of the fence. The one true enemy was defeated by the one who was despised and rejected, misjudged and forsaken, condemned and mistreated. Anyone not by being louder, acting stronger, bigger threats, crafty words, stinging retorts, but by a sacrifice. The ultimate battle was won by a gentle, humble, loving, servant man. He silenced the enemy, but not by being bigger and louder, but by laying down his life because he loved his enemy. As you stand fast in joy in the midst of all the trials and temptations you are facing, be gentle. Be gentle to everyone. Let this be your reputation. Let this be our reputation. Be a person of gentleness towards everyone inside and outside of the church, even those who oppose you or maybe even hate you. Why? Because you are a citizen of God's kingdom because you are you have been taken a hold of you are his child because you are God's and how do we do this well look at the last part of that verse how well remember God is at hand God is near God is with you you are always in the presence of God and yes God is watching and that is a wonderful motivator to realize that God sees everything we do but more than that God is with you Remember what Jesus told his disciples before he went to heaven, ascended into heaven? All authority is given to me, and I am with you, even to the ends of the earth. So God's presence is with us, but his power to see us through, his power to help us be gentle and to stand firm in gentleness and joy 
is something that he longs to give us. The Lord is at hand. If we want to stand firm in joy, we practice gentleness. So standing firm in joy means that we promote unity. It means that we practice gentleness. But it also means that we pursue peace. Look at how Paul famously puts it in verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Come on, Paul. Not about anything? Have you seen my life? Have you seen our lives? Paul, this can't be done. Paul's saying, no, it can't be done. And this is coming from an apostle in chains in prison who is writing this. Paul is saying this can be done. But in, in lovely uh, Pauline fashion, he doesn't simply give us a command. He gives us a how-to set of instructions. And you see that for overcoming anxiety. But before we talk about overcoming anxiety, let's talk about what anxiety really is. Now, I know that there are all sorts, there's clinical conditions and there's medical issues that, uh, in, that bring on anxiety. And I'm not talking about that type of anxiety. The anxiety I'm talking about, I want to define this way. Anxiety is feeling out of control as we gasp, grasp to control that's that which we can't control. Let me say that again. Anxiety is feeling out of control as we grasp to control that which we can't control. Make sense? And Paul's answer is, is don't be anxious, but pray. And by praying, he simply means ask with gratitude. That's his, his, his antidote to anxiety, is to ask with gratitude. Well, why ask with gratitude? Well, think about it. What is asking? Asking reminds us that we are not capable, capable of providing something for ourselves, right? I, I have a need. I, need to, I ask somebody. It reminds me I have a need. It reminds me that, that I'm not in control and that I have needs that I cannot meet. In, in short, it reminds me that I'm not God. So Paul's saying, remember who God is. But then also to be grateful, because being grateful focuses our, our hearts on who God is and all that he has done for us. And it reminds us of his work for us. It reminds us of his love towards us, his care for us, the way he will keep us. And you know, when you're thinking all that God has done, it's hard to be worried about the things that we're facing. It's hard to be worrying about what we can't do. You know, if you have ever spent any time at the beach, I grew up in Southern California. I spent a lot of time at the beach. I'm sure if you've, if you've gone to the beach, you've seen the scenario where a child digs a hole and they run to the shore and in their hands, they hold the water in, they grab the water and they, they carry the water to try and fill the hole in their hand. And inevitably it ends in frustration and failure. Because you can't hold water in your hands. You may make it a step or two, but you can't do that. And the child will either give up in frustration, or sometimes they'll turn to the parent. And the parent, if, if the parent is there and present, will give them a bucket, and maybe they'll even come and take the bucket. And they'll fill the hole up for the child. You see, anxiety for us is trying to fill a hole in the sand uh, with water just using our hands. But Paul is saying, turn, turn to your father. Ask him for help. And then appreciate the help he's given you. Don't try and fill the hole on your own. Ask the father. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, give it to the one who actually is in control. 
and be thankful for the one who's in control of everything because he loves you and he's got you. He's for you and he's with you. And what's the result? One of the most amazing phrases in the Bible then. Peace. Peace that doesn't make sense. Peace that transcends our circumstances. A peace that guards our hearts. That brings stability and strength to us even in the worst of moments. Peace that helps us stand firm. Stand firm in joy. Put off anxiety. Instead, ask God. Thank God. And experience indescribable peace. So what is Paul saying in these seven verses? He's saying we stand firm in joy. Therefore, because we look at what Jesus has done for us and in us. We stand firm with joy when we promote unity, when we practice gentleness, and when we pursue peace. We stand firm with joy by remembering that God is near, by remembering to ask him for his help, and remembering to thank him for everything. That's Paul's message to the Philippians, and that's Paul's message to us today. Again, can you think of a more timely message for us as God's people? To stand firm. Promote unity. Practice gentleness. And to be anxious for nothing. Pursue peace. When we see a world that is wildly divided and angry and scared, stand firm. Promote unity. When we see a world that is screaming and bullying and berating and raging, stand firm. Practice gentleness. When we're tempted to join the world that is full of fear and grasping for control, stand firm, find peace by going to God who is in control and thanking him for his loving control of your life and of all things. And do it with joy, reconnecting again and again and again to the only source of joy that we have in this world, ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is standing firm in joy. That is the way we make a difference today. That is our call, that is our way, and that is our impact. May it be true of my life, and may it be true of yours. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that because of Jesus, we are able to do any of this. Lord, thank you that he is with us to the ends of the earth. Thank you that through your power, we, we have the ability to pursue peace. Father, thank you that we have the ability to promote unity. Thank you that we have the ability to practice gentleness. And again, may that be so of all of us. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.